Hey everybody, Tyree here with Before I Forget Along with Kevin. Say hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. It's been a minute, Kevin. Welcome yeah, back, The Stranger. Yeah, I appreciate it. Oh, right. Yeah. So, let's not dilly-dally. On today's show, let's not. <laughs> we have Josh. Josh, am I, I want to pronounce your last name correctly. Is it Halu? Oh man, you nailed it. Right on. Josh Halu it. here. That's great. With the Psychedelic Exchange. He is a former veteran, and uh, he's our first show, our first guest of the year. So, welcome to the show. Dang, twenty twenty four. Starting off with twenty uh, psychedelic bang. Right on. Okay. So, Josh, my understanding is you've served in the military. Also, we're a veteran podcast. So, tell me a little bit about why you joined the military. Yeah, thanks, Tyree. My, my journey to the military was uh, through West Point for for college. And I started originally, um, actually when I was, when I was about 14, halfway through my, my, uh, my freshman year of high school, my parents sent me away to military school, to a military boarding high school. So I think it was one of the, one of the trouble kids or I think more, more importantly, which ties to what I'm doing today. Uh, my, my family had a lot of a lot of trauma, a lot of mental health uh, challenges. Uh, I'd lost my my father to suicide when I was about four, and it kind of sent my family into a bunch of chaos from mm-hmm. um, you know deep depression from my mom and my you know my siblings, and kind of tore my my family apart. Uh, my mom remarried when I was about six. I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and uh, you know there, it was just a lot of chaos in my household, a lot of a lot of fighting. Um, like I said, a lot of a lot of depression and mental health, you know, challenges that just kind of burdened my family for, you know, I mean, my first memory of my life was my was my dad's funeral. Um, mm. And from that point forward, everything was kind of kind of crazy. I, I don't really feel that much like I had that, you know, a great a great childhood, although in retrospect, there were happy moments. But my my parents sent me away a few times, my mom, and my stepdad. And then finally, you know, I was getting in trouble a lot. I was fighting all the time. And then finally, when I was. 14 my parents said you're you're going to military school which is never what you want to hear as a kid um it's kind of an army centric uh military school in roswell new mexico called the new mexico military institute uh and you know i went halfway through my freshman year so that was like oof, like rip you out of your life and send you shave your head send you to basic training you know as a cadet and uh you know all of a sudden it was it was january and i think we want to say 2001 and I was getting yelled at by, you know, cadet drill instructors and doing push-ups and having to, you know, learn how to shine my shoes and, you know, set up my barracks room and make my bed with a 45-degree angle and all that kind of stuff. And and I rebelled for a long time, actually um, got in fights and tried to get kicked out a bunch of times. And then finally, when I was, uh, when I was, um, I went home for the summer before my sophomore year and my parents were very specific, telling me I'm I'm definitely going back for my sophomore year of 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 high school, going back to military school, and and if uh, that didn't work out for me, I wasn't coming home. Well, so I had to find another way. So, uh, you know, I went back down my my first day of my sophomore year, is you know still pretty angry and bitter, and we all had to take JROTC, uh, you know, junior ROTC, and on that first day there was a you know, one of the, the, the officers from, from the school who was a liaison between the U.S. service academies, you know, so Air Force, Navy, Merchant Marine, Coast Guard, Army, you know, West Point uh, came in and said, anybody interested in going to a service academy, come out and see me in my office. So I'm, I don't even really know what it was, but I 
got up and, you know, I'd heard, oh, you know, West Point Air Force Academy, these are great, great places to go. What's this all about? And I didn't really want to sit in class anyway. So I got up and went, went to the office with a few of my friends and, and the guy, uh, guy essentially explained what the military academies were and said, uh, if you guys are interested in, 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 uh, in attending, you know, that the high school I went to was a, it was a pretty good college prep school um, and, a, and a big feeder to the military academies. He was like, if you guys want to go, like the application process starts now. Let's look at your grades. Let's look at your extracurriculars, your sports, like all that kind of stuff, your leadership. Um, and I, I had failed and gotten D's and F's, you know, my freshman year, I tried to get kicked out. You know, I was not doing sports. I wasn't doing it. I was just fight, fighting, <laughs> fighting with my fists a lot. And, uh, and, you know, I was like, man, maybe this is a way that I can take control of my life and feel like, you know, I, I can, I can drive my life in a direction that I want to go. Um, and so I just committed that day. I said, I'm going to go to West Point. I don't know why I chose West Point. Um, but it was what stood out to me. And from that moment forward, I just got, I got almost straight A's the rest of high school. I lettered in a bunch of sports, like got national honor society, started getting leadership roles. I was like committed. I said, you know, this is, this is how I'm going to become independent from my crazy family. This is how I'm going to take control of my life. And I'm going to go to this school and I'm going to, you know, make something of myself and some, some, something switched in my head. And I just committed, I just like really committed hard and um, worked for a year, you know, the next few years to really overcome that freshman year that I bombed and I got into my senior year and through a series of fortunate events or guardian angels or whatever, uh, found out early in my senior year of high school that I got admitted into West Point. It was the only school I applied to. I told myself if I didn't get in, I was just going to, you know, go to some other commissioning program or enlist or something else. It was going to make the military, you know, my, my future one way or another, because I saw freedom through the military. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even though we give up a bunch of freedoms while we're in the military, right? It still gives us right. a lot of, you know, it, it, it gives us a lot of freedom from, you know, in, in a lot of cases, our, our, you know, different pasts and challenging backgrounds that we all come from when we put on the uniform. Uh, so, you know, I graduated at 17 from high school and went to basic training six weeks later, spent four years at the academy, uh, graduated as, a, as an aviation officer and, you know, became a Black Hawk pilot, Army Ranger, Spent seven years active duty, deployed with the 101st Airborne Division, and uh, and then and then got out after about seven years of active. In a so nutshell, prior, prior to that day, uh, your your freshman year, like it didn't even it wasn't even like on your mind that you were going to college or you were going to even think about your future in that in that regard. Not at all, not before yeah. that very moment. It seemed like you really didn't. I mean, I hate to say it like this, but not much going on, man. I mean, the the shock of your first memory being your father's suicide and his funeral, and then all of a sudden now you're full-born military. Well, is there anything else you were interested in that time period? Girls. <laughs> right on. <laughs> hey, girls and fighting. Girls and fighting. Girls, girls and fighting, you know, uh, those were occupying a lot of my mind. I was, you know, I was a pretty smart kid. I, and I didn't think I um, probably didn't get challenged well enough in high school. I went to just a public Denver school and, you know, I'm sure it was fine. But um, I, I think that uh, I hadn't been I hadn't been stimulated, you know, mentally in the in the right way. And I was always a pretty physically fit you know, person, a kid, you know, I still like to go to the gym when I was a kid and, you know, do, do different, do different kinds of, you know, skateboarding or, you know, even like gymnastics. I love rope climbing and, you know, playing around in the gym and stuff like that. But uh, nothing had, nothing had 
captured my attention that that made me feel inspired or like was a reason to to get out of bed in the morning and my family was in too much of i think disarray to really give give uh give focus and direction one thing that i did love as a kid as i used to go to a, an overnight summer camp um every summer i'd go up into the rocky mountains for two weeks and you know do a lot of camping and hiking and things like that so i think i think that physical toughness um and you know being outdoors, the camaraderie of a, of a group, you know, shared values, um, <laughs> carrying heavy stuff and being outdoors and, and embracing the elements and all that was kind of part of my DNA as a kid too. So, so it's kind of there, just uh, maybe not necessarily pointed, pointed in the direction of, of the military. Um, right. Yeah. Nobody in my family was in, was in the military. I mean, my grand my, my grandfather had served in World War II, but it wasn't like that wasn't part of like my identity in any way. It was yeah. it, the, the the first time. I mean, and I was like when they, when I put on a uniform the first time as a in high school and I shaved my head, I was like, oh, I wanted like I, I remember it was it was in New Mexico and it was five hundred miles uh, five hundred mile drive from Denver, almost exactly. And I would in my head like calculate or on paper how <laughs> like how I could like either hitchhike or walk back to Denver to get out of there. Like I wanted to get so far away from that military environment. And, and then, yeah, as soon as, as soon as it was like, there was a why behind it and and I had purpose um, and I had a goal, uh, things just clicked into place. And I started to really embrace that aspect of, of discipline. You know, there's the, you know, I'm sure you guys are aware of like Jocko Willick, the, the discipline equals freedom mentality that was very like I didn't have those words at the time, but that became very true for me when I became 15, 16, 17, that yeah, the more disciplined I was, the more the more focus I put in, the more organized I became, the more rigorous and structured that I, I you know, and seriously that I took life, the 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 more the, the more I could become free to to pick my my destiny. Well and, and so and and what you do now, right? So so <laughs> For the people that like, how am I trying to word it? So there's there's this like stigma, right, about um, kind of what you're into now, and and some might say that it's it's a part of a certain culture that doesn't embrace those those very specific values of you know being disciplined, and you know that that it's a it's a part of a completely different culture that likes to party and just get messed up on the weekends and blah blah blah. Um, so <clears throat> how do you get from from where you, you know, from, from, from that, that, uh, that rigorous mindset, right. That like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to make sure that like, I'm, I'm the best that I can be. I'm going to have these goals. I'm going to attain them, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to serve in the military, become a ranger, become a black hawk pilot, which is no easy feat. Oh yeah. To where you are today. Right. Um, exploring the world of psychedelics as a form of treatment. Like, yeah. <clears throat> That's a, that's a, that's a, you know, if I, so some might say that that's a, that's an, that's an odd bridge to cross from one destination to another. Right. So can we uh, kind of get into that and like what, what, uh, and what you do really now? Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that's a, that's a fun arc <laughs> to, <laughs> to walk. Um, but I, I, I think it, I think it'll make a lot of sense as I, as I describe it. Um, and you guys can, can, uh, can keep, keep me focused, you know, because this is a few, you know, few twisty, turny roads, but I'll try to keep it uh, succinct. No, don't worry. We're all strapped in. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, yeah, three, four points of contact. Make sure you guys are ready. Now. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Oh, man, I always like having these conversations because uh, you get to use the fun military jargon. You know, I, I try not to overuse it, you know, so people can understand what we're saying. But, you know, it's I, I love talking to other Army guys, um, you know, and, and military and veterans because, you know, there's a similar we, we just share that 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 DNA, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I spent seven years active duty. Uh Wait, wait, wait. Before, was... before you get too far into that, what year did you join? I'm sorry. I, Kevin's laughing because <laughs> no, no I have worries, to ask. Man. All right. Let's, so 2005, I started at West Point. I uh, graduated in 2009. Okay. So uh, was, when September 11th happened, you were September nowhere near happened, any military. I was a freshman in high school in Denver. Right on. Okay. It was, it was the s- September uh, of my freshman year of high school, and the, and the coming January was the semester that I started at military school. So okay. it was about three months before I put on a uniform All right. for the first time when I was 14. Uh, I was sitting in my math class. Uh, you know, I just, wa- I just walked into class. It was in Denver. So, you know, two hours earlier than, uh, uh, you know, than, than, than New York. So I was just getting to the class and, you know, from that first class onward, we had the teachers with the roller TVs, you know, they rolled in there and we were sitting there just watching like, you know, it was the first plane hit and then the second plane hit. And we were like, oh, my, you know, there's nobody knew what was going on. And uh, right. That's obviously when it, when everything changed. That was the second the second time in my life that I remember that happening in Denver or something that that in, intense. Um, I think the year or maybe two years before that was when Columbine happened. That's right. You guys remember it was the first major shooting event and that happened not far from where I grew up. So that was, uh, you know, it was, you know, you know when, when a day like that happened, you sit and pay attention. You're like, shit, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And knowing so that full was, well that you're going into the military at that point and you just saw this happen, did that change anything for you mentally? Well, I, I'd gone to, you know, I was just going to military high school which didn't necessarily mean that I was going to a military college. But when I was, you know, it was interesting when I was 15, um, I think was when I made that decision to go to West Point. Maybe I was still 14, actually. And, uh, and it was still, yeah, now that I think about it, it was, that, was, that was 2002, right? So it was like right after 9-11. And the first time I went to war was in 2012, Wow. War wasn't like so so near term in my mind because, you know, even though I said, oh, I'm going to go to West Point. All right. That was another three years of high school, four years of college, two more years of, you know, I didn't know it was going to be two more years of flight school, but I knew that was at least seven years more from that point that I was, you know, possibly going to be in a position to go to war if I did go to West Point and get in and go through four years there. So, we didn't we didn't know in 2002 that the war was going to go on for two decades you know right. yeah. <laughs> it was like oh yeah it's a possibility we might go to war like you're watching you know the bombs hitting iraq and stuff like that on tv and you're like oh cow but you know i'm 15 years old thinking oh i've got till i'm 21 22 before before that's even a possibility in my mind you know mm-hmm. so there was there was a there was a gap in, um, in my mind between you know the, the 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 course that i had to walk in front of me and the ultimate destination of where that course would take me. Hmm. So when I was, uh, I graduated in 2009 from the Academy and then, uh, went to, went to the next two years were flight school, ranger school. So that was another two years. 
And during that time, I had friends that just went, you know, flight school is the longest lead time, of course. Uh, I had friends that just went straight to infantry, you know, officer course or artillery or engineers. And they were, by the time I was finished with flight school, they had already gone, you know, to, to Iraq and come back. Um, you know, and actually that was a big reason why I chose to go to ranger school to begin with is because I just, I really, uh, you know, it's not common for an aviation officer I actually got a lot of pushback, but I really wanted that leadership opportunity. I, I was kind of torn between infantry and aviation and, and the, a few officers that I really respected. Some of my mentors really kind of pushed me toward aviation or toward infantry. And when I went aviation, they were like, well, at least try to get to, um, you know, ranger school because, like that's that's the best leadership school in the army, and you're gonna you're gonna learn so much from it. And by the end of flight school, I started feeling a little bit soft, you know. <laughs> like, it's like, oh man, you know, there's you get you get this crew rest, you know. Like, don't don't get me wrong, flying is is hard, right? It's a it's a lot of responsibility. It's 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 a difficult you know it's a difficult skill. Um, uh, but we're you know not on the on the on the ground, you know, like you infantry guys, like. You sleep, you know, sleeping on the pack border, and I'm and I'm delivering, you know, frozen MREs and water, you know, every three or four weeks to you guys, and I'm going back and flying back, and I still have a you know chow hall and internet, you know, and and heat and stuff like that. So it was it was one of those thoughts in my mind, like I really want to I want to be connected to the ground mission as much as possible, you know, and I wanted I wanted the guys that got in my helicopter to see that tab on my shoulder and you know and feel safe in yeah. my helicopter too. It was mm-hmm. big. You know, that's something I cared about. Yeah. That tab means so, a lot uh, to us infantry guys. Uh, you guys listening, if you're veterans and you guys know this, like uh, being a ranger, personally, I'm not. Kevin's not. I mean, it was one of the things that I wish I had went and, and did. But, I mean, being a pilot is enormous for anyone in the military, especially for me personally, because I always have really fond memories of dealing with anyone who flew anything. Uh, I always thought it was like one of the coolest things to be in. Uh so how many deployments and things like that did you deal with before you were completely out? Where were you, where were you stationed? I was stationed. I, I was at four stations. I was, it was um, you know, I was at Fort Rucker for flight school at five stations. I went to Fort Campbell and that was the, that was the only deployment I did. Um, I went, you know, for just short of a, a year to Afghanistan with the 101st. And then from there, I went to Fort Huachuca uh, to do the uh, military intelligence um, officers course. And then I finished my time in the military at Fort Eustis, Virginia, as a company commander um, for a, for a aviation maintenance uh, training uh, company. So, you know, tra- training uh, soldiers coming out of basic training that were in, in AIT, uh, you know, doing their specialty training to become uh, Chinook and Black Hawk helicopter mechanics. And I did that for my last two years in the military, and then and then um, ETS and uh, went into the corporate uh, the corporate world. So I did that, yeah, just that one deployment, which you know, when I, that was that was that was that was plenty, right? Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. one time in war is, you know, is is enough. Yeah, so like Tyree and I, we both we went to Iraq in '04. We were there '04 to '05 um, during the second wave of it, and I've always felt bad because I mean I I retired last year from the reserves, so I only deployed overseas one time. Well, we went to Kosovo in 2002, but it doesn't really count, right? But you know, like you said, going to wars one time that's enough. Um, and it always felt bad, right? That like all these dudes went on like three, four deployments, and I only did the one. But you know. Oh four, oh five. You know, it was it was it was pretty bad then. You know, and and that's the thing is it doesn't matter when you went. Like you said, 
going to war at least once is is enough, man. And you know, it's and that, that's one thing that I always had to tell myself is that like, yeah, like I only went once, but that's more than more than most people, and for a good reason. Like I volunteered for it, and I would rather have gone than have somebody else gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, yeah funny yeah, how we uh, all have this kind of pri- we all have this kind of like pride not pride like this humility it's the opposite pride that about like oh yeah like oh i i only went to war once but i got friends that went three times you know i, I showed up as a platoon leader my first platoon sergeant he, he'd done like three deployments in the last five years you know yeah and i was like right like you you always you know like i told you i had friends that had already been to iraq and back by the time i just got to my first unit and became a platoon leader and you you do feel this sense of inadequacy and it reminded me of like when I when I first got to West Point, right? That was 2005, and many of the instructors, like the professors and like the the op- the kind of the the officers in charge of the Corps of Cadets, um, are their active duty officers that that go to grad school or something. They rotate back to West Point. They teach for a few years, then they go back to the operational force. And that was right about the time when we started getting all of our officers that would come back, they would have their combat patch on, right? And and then we started seeing that dichotomy between, you know, there's almost this judgment that we would develop between the guys that would have their combat patch and the guys that wouldn't. We had the colonels, you know, that didn't have combat patches at that time because there's, you know, almost you know, over a decade of, you know, of, of, uh, of, of, of peacetime, essentially, Um you know, for the most part. So we would see, you know, in many cases, almost everybody had a, a blank, you know, right shoulder until, until right around the time, you know, my freshman, sophomore year. And then, and then by that time, if you saw anybody without a patch on their right shoulder, you're like, where the hell have you been? War's been going on for four years, been hiding out, you know, you get this mm-hmm. kind of, yeah. kind of weird judgment in your mind about it, but, but you forget, man, like go, going to war, going to war at all just once, it, you know, it's like, it's, it's 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 real you know you're there you're getting rocket attacked you got your you know helmet your ballistic armor you got live rounds and your you know your weapon you are you're you're there to you know to to to, to do war to right do real war yeah. you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. it's not we're not we're not playing we're not playing soldier at that point so i was in i was in the drill sergeant community uh in the reserves and uh so it's it's you know that was that was always a thing like the the trainees even learned this okay so basic trainees people who have never really served in the army who don't even know what the big army is like are judging other drill sergeants based on whether or not they have a combat patch you know you'd hear them talking like in private you know oh drill sergeant so and so is a slick sleeve you know or like oh yeah oh slick sleeve I hadn't heard that term before <laughs> yeah slick sleeve and so like you bust in and you lay into him as a drill sergeant does. And, you know, you, you remind them that like, look, like, I mean, especially for what we do in basic training, right? Like you don't, you don't have to go to combat to be able to teach basic training. It helps. It definitely supplements the training because you have real world experience for the most part. I mean, I've worked with drills who have deployed who had no idea what they were doing, you know, but um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird stigma that, that begins in basic training for some reason, right? Maybe they have this idea of like what their drill sergeants are supposed to be or what soldiers are supposed to be. And if they see that they haven't deployed, you know, it's, it's, it's uh they are automatically have this, like this view of this person, like, Oh, they're not, they're not worthy enough to be a soldier. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when that was so, a yeah, thought though, the aspect that comes with it for sure. I mean, my, uh, I mean, think about this. So I was 17 when I was a freshman 
at, at West Point, my first roommate, <laughs> this is crazy. I, I was just thinking about it now. My first roommate who ended up becoming our class president, um, he was a, he was 23 years old. He was what we called a prior enlisted, right? So, you, you know, you're enlisted, you go, um, you serve, and then you, you know, like I, when I was a company commander, I, I did recommendations for some of my soldiers, you know, to go to West Point and, and got them in, but you can, you can do that. My first roommate was 23 years old and he had already deployed twice and had a mustard stain. He had, he had, he had combat jump wings. He had like done that jump with the 173rd wow. <laughs> into like a secured Iraqi base. Right. So I was 17 years old, all the senior, you know, upperclassmen, all the officers, you know, like he was, he was a, he was a plebe, right. He was like the new cadet lowest of the low, but you know, he had a certain reverence around him because he'd, he'd already, <laughs> he'd, already, been older than he'd already been at war twice, you know, he's like, you know, treated the same as me, you know, brushing my teeth next to each other and shining our shoes together. Right. Mm-hmm. What I want to point out, he was 23 and had to go, had gone to combat twice and had a combat jump. And for those that are listening and don't know what that means, like the mustard stain on the airborne wings, if you're, if you're airborne um, and you jump into combat, you get a little yellow star on your jump wings called a mustard stain. And so these are for people who jump into areas where like the ground is hot, right? There's, there's definitely bad guys in or around the area and you're jumping in, like think, think uh, Normandy, the, the, the airborne troops that jumped in behind the lines prior to the invasion of the beach. Um, not as heavy from what I understand, but I wasn't there, so I don't know. But so this guy's 23 years old has deployed to combat twice with the 173rd of all people. And these guys, I mean, the 173rd got hammered. Let's just, let's just like, over the last 20 years, they got hammered, but the sky soldiers have hung on and they've done a really good job. I'm actually like super fond of that, of that, uh, of that brigade. Cause I follow them on Instagram. They're, they're Sergeant major, they're, um, they're, uh, battalion or brigade commander, great people. But anyway, 23 years old. I mean, think about where most 23 year olds are in life. And you know what I mean? And, and them grandpa. Is, Can you believe that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 23, you know, grandpa. <laughs> it's wild to me. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So, uh, so I, you know, did my time. I got out of the military, uh, when I was, when I was about 28. So by that time, it was 14 to 28, I was in uniform. It was literally half my life I'd spent in a uniform. Um, and I already had gotten my MBA while I was active duty. I kind of knew I wanted to get out and move into the, into the corporate world. And, um, I got a, you know, civilian job in sales and account management in the technology space. Um, and, and I was really struggling with PTSD, man. And I didn't see it for what it was. I'd lost a, a best friend, uh, who I'd gone to high school with. We went to West Point together. And then the last time I saw him, we were deployed to Afghanistan together, actually, He's an artillery officer. His name was Taylor Force. And I'd flown my helicopter to his base. We had a mission there. We shut down long enough. He grabbed lunch and caught up. You know, he, he was the guy that swatted my wife, my ex-wife now on the butt and said, welcome to the army, you know, at the, at the saber arch, you know, in the wedding. He's like my best, you know, my best yeah. friend in the world. He was, he was, uh, had gotten out a year or two before me. He was in, um, in Israel actually on a, on a trip with Vanderbilt. He was doing his MBA with Vanderbilt in, in Nashville, Tennessee, was on a, a spring break trip doing some entrepreneurship work in Israel um, and was, was just stabbed in a random terrorist attack, just walking down the street. He had already been uh, to Iraq and Afghanistan, obviously. And that happened. I, I signed out of the army on March 4th of 2016. Uh, he had gotten out two years before me. 
Um, I signed out of the army and changed command on the same day. I literally handed off the guide on, walked to the S1 shop and signed out. Like it was crazy. And four days later on March 8th, I got a call, you know, saying that he, that this had happened and it like, it just crushed me. Like I was ready to change out, out of the army. I was ready to, you know, so I had my job lined up. My wife and I were going to hop on a space aid flight and do, you know, backpack Europe. And this happened while we were packing up the house and it, it like rocked my world. Um, and it threw, it threw like, I think it, it unlocked all that, all the trauma, like from war, from, you know, obviously lose my friend, my dad's suicide, like everything kind of came crashing down, but I didn't see what, I didn't see it for what it was at the time. What I saw was, um, you know, just, you know, that I was having trouble and I wasn't getting along with my wife and that I was sad all the time. And, it, you know, I just had to, 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 to get through it. Like I'd gotten through everything else, just fight harder or whatever. Um, and then I started turning to, you know, that's when I, I was drink, started drinking a lot and eventually, you know, started using cannabis, which was really helpful, helped me get off of, of a lot of alcohol and, you know, start discovering plant medicine. Um, then about three years later, I was really, really struggling. I was doing really well in work, but I was having a, yeah, no, you're good. I just didn't want to cut off into you. Uh, we're going to have to take a quick break. We're going to come okay. right back uh, to Before I Forget with Josh Halu. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Before I Forget here with Josh Halu. And now we're just going to continue the story. No worries. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I was talking about how uh, I had just gotten, you know, I'd gotten out of the military. It was 2016. I was, I was working a, I was working a job um, with uh, with a technology company and doing doing really well, you know, career wise, financially. Um, my my marriage was in a challenging place at that point. I think uh, a lot of it had like stemming from my my friends my friends' death and a lot of unresolved trauma that I think I I was starting to come up to the surface and I started to discover, you know, uh, what I would call plant medicine in the form of cannabis that helped with a lot of my anxiety. Uh, and, uh, really, you know, felt like it was helping me not, not drink, um, start to you know, feel better about living, but I was still, you know, nothing was solved. I was kind of just handling some symptoms for the most part, um, versus like actually resolving some of the underlying issues that were, I think, leading to some of the depression that I was experiencing. And I hadn't gone to the VA yet, you know, and actually, you know, talked to them about, uh, mental health. And, um, it was about, Three years later, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd work worked for three years in the corporate world, and my my uh, wife and I, ex wife, now decided that we were going to move uh, for her job. I was going to leave my job, and we were going to move. We were living in Indiana at the time, and we were going to move over to New Jersey for her job, where she was from. Which just felt like all right, a change for change's sake. At least we we could see if this was going to make you know make a difference in the course of our life, um, and. I quit my job. We moved out there and uh, I, I started interviewing and I didn't really feel like I really wanted to get back to work or doing what I was doing. I wasn't feeling passionate about it, anything. I was feeling like, you know, the, the typical, I think what, what depression is, you know, I was feeling like lost and numb and hopeless and down and dark. And, um, and I had an idea for a while that I wanted to hike the Appalachian trail. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are, 
familiar with it, but um, I first stepped foot on the Appalachian Trail actually when I was at Ranger School in Dahlonega, Georgia, which is the mountain phase of Ranger School, when it was like the middle of the night. One time we're looking at the map, you know, doing a raid or a patrol, and uh, I saw this trail on the map, and it actually, the, the southern point of it starts in in uh, northern Georgia, so right around Dahlonega where that mountain phase is. And I remember we were walking across this path, and it was the middle of the night, and I saw this it's like a couple tents there and we were, you know, fully up armored camoed, you know, Ranger students, you know, <laughs> March in, in uh, Northern Georgia. So freezing. And, you know, I saw these campers like peek their heads out of their tents and <laughs> probably were terrified because I went to platoon of, you know, Oh man, you know, machine guns and everything. And, uh, and so I looked it up when I was done with the hike and I was like, what is this? And I found out that the Appalachian trail is it's a, it's a 2,200 foot, um, uh, a 2,200 mile foot path, uh, the longest footpath only, only footpath only um, path in the world, a trail in the world. It goes from uh, Georgia up to Maine through 14 states uh, up along the ridge of the Appalachian Mountains. And I kind of filed it away in my head as, you know, I learned that people actually hike the whole thing beginning to end. And I was like, oh, one day, one day I'm going to do that. You know, maybe when I'm retired. Um, but uh, the idea popped into my head when I was off taking that break from work. And also the path goes through New Jersey. So it's kind of like aware that it was nearby. And um, finally, this was early 2019. Uh, so, geez, was that five years ago? I um, I talked to my wife about it and just ultimately decided that I was going to take the time away from work and go hike the trail. And I started on the day that my, my friend was killed, which was March 8th just about the time that a lot of people March, April is around the time. A lot of people start the trail. Cause you start, you know, in the, in the South in the springtime and kind of follow the weather as you go North through the summertime. Um, and so I did that and I, uh, talked to my friend's parents and carried his dog tags on my pack for the whole hike. Uh, I started on the day he died on March 8th and I finished four months later on July 8th and his, uh, family, um, you know, came up to Maine and did the final summit with me was like you know super powerful super powerful experience and it was the first time i took time like you know out of you know from the time i was 15 and committed to going to west point right it was the first time i took a step out of that course of life of just doing 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 going hustling you know moving faster pushing harder to just you know like wake up under the stars every day right it was hard as hard as hell man carrying every like like being a soldier kind of carrying everything on your back you know whether it's rainy muddy you know, sweaty, mosquito-y, whatever, getting up every day and putting those miles in, just keep on, you know, hiking at the end of the day, setting up your tent, you know, cooking yourself dinner, packing your tent. But I got to interact with a bunch of cool people along the way, a ton of veterans that were also going through challenges, um, a lot of interesting people, you know, just kind of going with the flow of life for the first time ever. And it was a really healing process for me. Um, and, you know, I got back from that and I kind of went right back into work, uh, I, I joined another company similar to my previous company working for a, a boss that I worked for before that, that I blogged the whole time that I was hiking and my boss, um, pulled me into their company after I finished, after I finished the hike. Uh, and it was at that time that I finally went to the VA and, and was, um, was rated, you know, I was like 50% disabled for PTSD, uh, really started taking my mental health seriously for the first time. Uh, and right as I started getting stable, the pandemic hit. It was March of 2020. It's about six months into my job, and my wife and my wife is in healthcare, and so we were in New Jersey, just outside of New York City, which is you know it was like the epicenter at the time. So things got really crazy. Oh, yeah. We both went remote, so we were living on top of each other. 
it was a tough time for everybody for a lot of reasons for me. And I was like, it, it just amplified the challenges in my marriage and, um, kind of my dissatisfaction with, with, with where I was in life, both physically and mentally. And, uh, I started, I started, uh, you know, I started doing some, um, my brother-in-law at the time had, had built a conversion van, you know, I was doing like van life stuff and we started taking a lot of van trips and it was just getting out of, you know, I was just getting out of my normal way of life. And, and, uh, one day we had to, had a conversation about psychedelics. I didn't know anything about them. Um, and he, he brought up, uh, magic mushrooms and, and, you know, before that I'd actually, I, I, uh, I'd grown my own cannabis, right. I, I started like really appreciating the plant and, um, the medicinal, the medicinal aspect of it. And, you know, kind of connecting with a natural substance that I felt was very therapeutic for me. And then, you know, creating it myself. Uh, I didn't know anything about mushrooms and, and, you know, I grew up with, with cannabis cause I grew up in Denver in the nineties. Right. And that was one of the reasons my parents sent me away to military school, but right. didn't touch it through all the drug tests and everything, obviously through my time in the military. But, um, so I learned how to grow my own mushrooms uh, at that time and um, with, with an eye on like really understanding the healing power of them. Um, and then my wife told me in July of 2020 that she wanted to get a divorce. And it was kind of like, was a shock to my system. Of course, we've been together since we were 17. So married for 11 years. And, um, and I didn't really, you know, after about a week, we just agreed that and this is the right decision for both of us. So we could both kind of move on in our lives and, and be, you know, uh, uh, the intersection of what we wanted in life didn't exist anymore. So, um, it was right about the time that my, my first, my first batch of mushrooms was done growing. And my, my brother lives in Las Vegas. My family's all in the Southwest. I wanted to move West for a long time from New Jersey. Uh, so I just loaded up my car, <laughs> you know, including the mushrooms that I had finished growing and hadn't tried yet. And I, and I drove out to, uh, to, to Las Vegas and it was the very first time in my life since I was 14 years old and had a roommate in high school that I like moved into my own place, set up a condo, you know, like, like existed as an individual in life and was like, what am I doing now? You know, like, where do I go from here? And had, had the opportunity to choose anything I wanted to, but I also had my, you know, my mushrooms, which were kind of burrowing a hole in my mind. Like what's on the other side of this experience? And so that first weekend, you hear a lot in the psychedelic space that the term set and setting, you know, you got to be in the right mindset and you got to be in the right physical setting in order to have the, the best opportunity to have a, a positive outcome from that experience. So I moved in my condo. I was fully set up for success. Um, I thought, you know, and I said this first weekend, once I, you know, once I'm, I was still working remote for my company, but I thought well, as soon as I'm set up and ready to go, I'm going to have this experience. I'd read a lot about it, you know. I probably should have had a, a trip sitter or somebody with me, you know, to, to facilitate, but Hey man, I'm pretty, fe- I was pretty fearless through, through life, you know? So I was like, I can handle this. And, uh, that first weekend took a big dose, took a big dose of, um, psilocybin mushrooms. And I went through a really intense trip, um, in my house by myself that changed pretty much everything, like everything in terms of how my mind was working at that time. You know, I had so I had so much like fear and anger and resentment. You know, I was angry at my my dad for le- you know for 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 ending his life and leaving us, and for you know for my friend being killed and for for having to go to war and all this kind of shit. You know, and then at 
that point, like everything kind of changed from that perspective of like anger and resentment to and self-loathing, right? Like a lot of the self-hatred that comes with survivor's guilt and, and everything else, you know, to um to embracing like self-love, self-kindness, self-respect, gratitude, you know, like feeling just feeling like acceptance for what for like the for the beauty of life, the relationships that we have, you know, the the ability to 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 choose how you want to live. Um, and I came out of that experience so much lighter than I went into it. And I called my mom, my mom's a hippie from like the sixties and seventies. My dad went to Woodstock, you know, my stepdad, my mom, like was a big, you know, LSD mushroom girl from the, you know, from, from the olden days. So I called her, we had never connected on this level though, but I called her, I was like sobbing, you know, I had this crazy transformative experience. I'd forgiven everything. You know, I, I processed so much. I was just bawling and she's like, you know, just help me breathe and talk through it and process everything that I experienced. And I remember waking up the next day, like what the heck, you know, just like, what the hell did I just experience? Like I grew, I just grew these little mushrooms, right. Just grew these little mushrooms out of ate a few grams of them, you know, like what you can hold in your, in your hand. And, and it changed the way my mind worked. And so I, I kind of dove into the research. I started, you know, started trying to really understand what, psychedelics were you know read a lot of forums online watched a lot of videos read a lot of books and then i started um i kept you know i kept i kept uh i kept using them with uh either you know individually or with friends and other other veterans who had ptsd and trauma used them with my mom you know several times uh and every single time with, with an extraordinary outcome you know some major insight some major breakthrough you know, all my friends that I use them with able to live better, you know, we all kind of started growing, growing together. Um, and our lives started changing, you know, and I, I attribute it, you know, not just to the plants themselves or the medicine, but to, uh, you know, to the, to the camaraderie and the support and the growth and the integration of the experience that comes afterward, you know, after putting in the right work and creating the right set and setting, in facilitating the right way and in integrating the experience and creating a support network afterward. And I just started seeing like so many aspects of my life changing the way I could communicate, the way I could express my feelings and feel my emotions and connect with my parents and connect with my siblings and help my friends come out of like the funks that they were living in. You know, it, it was a tough time also in, in 2020. So that was 2020, 2021. And then, um, probably 2022, you know, I was still living kind of the shadow. Like I had my professional life. I had my personal life and, you know, I was kind of felt like there was not a lot of crossover and I was really nervous. You know, I thought there was all this, like, who am I? I'm a West Point graduate, you know, right from a ranger officer, you know, like am I doing drugs? Like, is this the right, you know, is this the right thing? Is that this isn't, I know it's not legal. It's, you know, is it, is it, is, is it moral and ethical? You know, I think, I think it is right. Like, you know, I've, think I'm doing good in the world. And I started seeing all the changes that, um, that were happening on the legal side. Uh, like the, the VA started, uh, has been, has been doing research with, um, psilocybin, um, has started providing ketamine assisted psychotherapy and, uh, has started, has started researching MDMA assisted therapy with incredibly profound results. So like MDMA, take MDMA, which is set to be, um, legalized potentially by the FDA this year for the treatment of PTSD and major depressive disorder. And the VA is actively researching this. They found that 
two out of three, like 67% of individuals treated with one session of MDMA-assisted therapy loses their PTSD diagnosis altogether. You think about that. Wow. Like there's like 2 million veterans with PTSD diagnoses, right? Like two out of three of those (laughs) out of one session, you know, Mm. think about what that's compared to like right now, just to get approval to go, um, to go get ketamine assisted therapy, which is incredibly powerful itself. You have to like have failed multiple SSRIs, you know, different versions of antidepressants. You have to have gone and done a bunch of talk therapy, you have to have gone go in front of panels and get approved, right? Every time re-exposing your traumas, re-explaining your story, right? And and you could be suicidal, right? And this is like a two-year process instead of like, hey, we, we know this works. Or <laughs> like 60, 70 plus percent of people on the first time, every time, you know, like, mm-hmm. why aren't we, why isn't, why isn't that the first, why aren't we treating like our veterans and our, you know, individuals that experience trauma, like, why aren't we, why aren't we actually using what we know works? And it's because there's a process of FDA approval. There's the, the stigma, you know, the stigma surrounding drug use and the counterculture idea. And, and I just made the decision last year. I went to a couple psychedelic conferences as, as you know, what I, what's being referred to as like the psychedelic renaissance is really starting to grow. I started becoming more confident more comfortable stepping into my own shoes and living, you know, living authentically and um, becoming comfortable, you know, like acknowledging that this is my story and this is so many other people's stories and uh, people, you know, people like me, people that, you know, that, that went, that had the pedigree and the, you know, the, the patches and the tabs and this, the, you know, the confidence to, to tell my story are the ones that need to, so that's, you know, we don't just, we don't just write people off as druggies and hippies and countercultural movements and all this other stuff. It's like, it's like, no, man, it's, it's you, it's me. It's, it's so many people that live in depression that, you know, have experienced trauma, not just war trauma, but, you know, like all sorts of sexual trauma, you know, trauma from childhood, everything, right. These, these medicines are so potent, to allow people to um, reframe, to create new neural pathways, reframe their traumatic experiences and start to live healthier lives. And, you know, every, every time you have that impact on just one person, the ripple effects of say a father who's now able to engage with his children or isn't afraid to leave his house and go to his kids' soccer games, you know, engage in community, right? Like those ripple effects are real and profound. And they're on the other side of, you know, a fungus that grows out of the ground, right? And it has been here before we have been here or, or, you know, like medicines that are synthesized in labs, but are proven to really help you um, process your trauma and live, live fuller, more meaningful lives. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's in my, in my opinion, it's just, it's time to, it's time to make that accessible and provide, you know, access, information, education to individuals that are in need. Um, and and I think it's like the time now is more exciting than ever because, you know, mental illness, mental health, mental wellness is such a core component of living a full life. And, and we have so many more tools at our disposal that are effective than, than we're using to their full potential at this point in time. So um, I, was, I wanted to say, or kind of clarify, um, the MDMA, 
um, in a medical setting and, and psilocybin in a medical setting for those that are still like kind of apprehensive or, uh, still thinking you know, uh, drugs are bad. Okay. Um, you know, like these are, these are in, these are in settings, professional settings, medical settings with people who are guiding you through these processes and all that stuff. And so that definitely helps. So there was going back to the fifties and sixties, there was a ton of studies on psilocybin and its, and its effects. And they saw really good, you know, really good numbers, um, really good results on, on what they were testing for like depression and things like that. Right. And then, you know, move into the the late sixties, the seventies, going into the eighties, you know, and there was a big, you know, explosion of, of drug use and anti Vietnam, uh, anti-war sentiments and the, you know, the, the government powers that be just kind of put it all together and said, all these things are bad. We're going to make everything illegal studies on everything has to stop. And then what was it about 15, 20 years ago, there's been kind of a resurgence in, in psilocybin and uh, now, like you said before, uh, uh, MDMA and, and ketamine and their uses to treat like PTSD, depression, anxiety, things of that nature. And they're seeing I, one thing that I had read some time ago was that, and like you would say that the results that they're seeing from psilocybin, from MDMA, from ketamine are leaps and bounds beyond any results that they've seen with any kind of um, antidepressants or anti anti-anxiety medications, like leaps and bounds. Like you said, like two thirds of the people that go through that treatment uh, come out on the other side free of, of what had previously ailed them. And it's, it's not just like they come out the next day and you're like, Oh man, I feel amazing. It's a lasting effect. It's like six months, a year and so on. There's tons of studies on that. Um, and so I kind of want to, want to, want to clarify for like, for, for those listening, like in a lot of these cases, these are, these are, um, they're, you know, medical, they're, they're medical cases, like they're professionally done. They're not like, um, you know, that, that was kind of part of the stigma going at, you know, that caused the government to kind of really look at them and say, Hey, like, let's make these things illegal is because people are trying to take these things as a party drug, right? MDMA, everybody knows it as like, you know, ecstasy or Molly, right? And it's, it's a party drug. People will take it, take a ton of it, then they overdose and then it gets a bad name, blah, blah, blah. Um, anybody that's ever taken mushrooms of any kind knows like you can't, it's not, it's, it's never been like a party thing. You know, it's, it doesn't, I, when I, when I, I've done it before and, and it's not like, it's like, ah, I get this party vibe from it. You know what I mean? Like I want to go out and see flashing lights and loud music and go out and act a fool. It's more introspective and it always has been. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, first of all, like what that first, that first uh, batch that you grew, what strain did you grow? Which, which one did you grow? Uh, it's called uh, golden teachers, which is a pretty, t- when you hear about, yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like the the common entry mushroom. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's got, you know, at this point, mushroom strains and growing them are, it's kind of like a lot like cannabis strains where there's all these, you know, hybrid versions and they're all these crazy names right now, but there's still, you know, there's still the core ones. Um, yeah. Golden teachers are like, a, are known to be ones that are like pretty, uh, somewhat approachable, you know, not, 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 not like an incredibly over the top experience, but um, yeah. Introspective, uh, you know, uh, he, certainly healing. And they call them, you know, teachers for a reason because, you know, you're also you're learning those lessons w- with introspection, learning lessons of of gratitude and you know and, and love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to ask too. So when you first went into it, um, or or in, in any 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 um, subsequent use, 
did you did, prior to taking it like do you you like you mentioned already set and setting so do you kind of prepare yourself mentally okay so this is the journey that i'm, I'm planning to go on these are the things that i may face this is how i want to face them how i want to approach this particular experience with these particular people or is it just like hey let's take them and see, what see where it goes yep mm, great question um and just to hit on something you said that the, the these are all tools, right? The, the, I mean, there's, <laughs> there, there's a certain, you know, spirit aspect of the medicine for sure, but these are tools that put you into, it's called a neuroplastic state, right? And so um, that allows you to create, you know, there, there's, there's medical imagery showing brain scans, you know, before and after this like a psilocybin or psychedelic use. And you see the brain, you know, before and the brain after and after there's, like the, the neuron connections are much stronger, like connecting different parts of your brains that didn't exist before. So you're actually, you know, able to coalesce a lot more um, within your mind. Um, the, the aspect of preparation for a psychedelic experience is, is incredibly um, important. So this is a big reason why um, I, I launched my company, the Psychedelic Exchange or PsychX. Um, or the PX <laughs> for, for your army guys. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, it was uh, so. It's, we, we don't. We don't. You know. It's, we don't provide any of the any medicine or anything um, like that. What we do is we create uh, access and information education around um, psychedelic assisted therapy. So uh, currently, we we help. Uh, we're, we're creating a network of legal psychedelic um, clinics and providers. So currently, that's ketamine ketamine assisted therapy so we're helping um individuals and ketamine clinics and providers connect with each other you know helping vet the clinics ensuring that they're they're meeting certain standards and and then that they can actually provide therapy to individuals that are in need and providing education around it a big part of that focus is is around yes the preparation the facilitation and the integration piece which are which the, the the most important in all of that uh, is the is the integration piece, the the backside. So like what you do with that experience, the facilitation, the actual experience itself. Like you know, there's that there's the there's a saying like you know, you once you buy the ticket, you take the ride, right? Like you're gonna like you know, once you take the medicine, you're gonna go through an experience, um, and that experience it, it can be very challenging, right? So you're right, it's not it's <laughs> like some people will take it as a party drug and think it's gonna be all all beautiful and colors and stuff. And you can go to a really dark place, right? If you're not, if you're not in the right place in the right state of mind, you're not in the right setting. And the only thing that's going to end that trip is time, right? Like you gotta, you know, you gotta finish the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, preparation. Psychedelics humble you, you know, they're not <laughs> in a lot of ways. MDMA is, is, is in its own unique category category um i don't know if you guys ever listened to like andrew huberman the andrew huberman podcast he's a he's a doctor out of stanford and he he's done a lot of wonderful series on on the psychedelic compounds um and mdma in particular the, the way that it works it works on your dopamine and your serotonin system and i'm not a scientist or a doctor so i'm not going to speak to it too too much in depth but it really it's a it's a very heart opening drug that kind of like floods you with dopamine and creates this ability for you to really um uh just it, it's it's not psychedelic in the sense it's classed under you know psychedelic medicines but it's not a Bonding. typical psychedelic 
you know, in, in that way. So, but it, it is a, it works in a, in a beautiful way. It really is, is an impactful medicine. Um, the more traditional psychedelics like LSD or psilocybin mushrooms, like, you know, those, those, those kinds of medicines, there's, you know, DMT, there's, there's multiple ones. They, um, they are certainly, in my opinion, required to be treated with, with a high level of respect. Um, because like I said, they, they, like they'll humble you if you're not, if you're not going into it with the right state of mind and you're not, you're not doing it with, with responsibility, you know, around it. So for me, you know, when I'm going into the experience and, and there's a lot of protocols for going into the experience, but there's always prep work that goes into it. So, um, I always like to write out a list of intentions. Like what are, what are my intentions for this? What are some affirmations I want to tell myself? What am I hoping to gain clarity around? Um, you know, I'll typically will, you know, we'll meditate, you know, find, find peace, put on specific playlists, um, create, create an environment that I'm not going to be disturbed. Um, you know, like, like candles, a, a huge component is wearing a face mask, wearing an eye mask because you want to go inside, right? It's not, you want to be like, like, yeah, it's cool to see hallucinations and see, you know, walls moving and shifting and colors and stuff like that. But the, the, and this is proven scientifically, the impacts come by, closing off those external stimuli and being able to go inside and, and finding that, you know, that space in your mind where you're able to do the deep work without distraction. So all of these are kind of part of the protocol that I use. And then I take the, you know, if I'm going to take the medicine, then I just surrender to the experience because you can't control it. You know, if it, like I could have intentions, but the, the medicine is going to show you what you need to see. And I know that's kind of like, you know, maybe we might have a lot, a lot of military listeners or, you know, you know, kind of type A type of people that are like, you know, that it's hard to really understand what that means. That would have, that have been really hard for me to understand what that means before my first plant medicine journey. And then after it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. Like there's things in my mind that are subconscious that I don't even see that are blind spots to me. And I may think I want this, but what I really need is something else. And the medicine is going to show me what I need or give me what I need to experience on that. And the more I fight it, the harder, the more challenging the, the experience is going to be, the more I surrender to it and just let it happen, let it wash over you, internalize it, and then come out of it. You know, then I always journal afterward and I reflect on it. You know, if I'm with somebody else, we'll dis discuss the experience, uh, whatever, pro you know, it's, it, it, there's never been a time where I've had a psychedelic experience that there hasn't been something that's like surprised me from it. That it hasn't, that I haven't been like, wow, I didn't even realize that I needed that, you know? And then on the other side of it, you know, once, once you, once you actually journal about it, think about it, internalize it, integrate it, you're like, wow, I really did need that. And, and now <laughs> and today I'm feeling much better than I did yesterday. You know, like I, I've, 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 I've worked through some aspect of life that I really needed to work through. Um, and, and so, yeah, the, 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 hand, the, there's a lot of protocols. There's a lot of different, you know, viewpoints on the subject of how you go through a psychedelic experience. And, you know, especially as different clinics are popping up, um, there are some clinics like 
that you know new ketamine clinics you're not really required i think to provide more than a you know safe environment and and you know store and manage like ketamine appropriately and provide the you know have the right facilities and the right certifications and that kind of thing but the but what's really important is for these clinics to understand you know it's not just sit somebody in a chair give you an infusion of ketamine and walk you out the door and say have a nice day right like these are life-changing experiences that you need you need to have the conversation the prep work for beforehand um and then afterward you know there needs to be some follow-up you know so that you can help somebody you know know what to do once they've once they've had this and how to proceed <laughs> in life because mm-hmm. you know you'll start you you'll you'll talk to you'll you'll talk a little bit differently you'll walk differently you'll you know you'll you'll smile more you'll have you'll, there'll be a different energy to you yeah. than than what you had beforehand the thing is um in many non-white communities i'll flat out say it like uh the 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 only drug or anything that we'll try that comes from the earth is cannabis that's about it that's the the end all be all for most black folks i'm gonna say flat out um i've tried mushrooms before um now the thing is i did not try it with the intent to change my life in any sort of way um my first time again was a, a party thing like hey we're gonna do this and like you said we were gonna just hold on and hang out for the ride lately I, i've tried it again i've come back to it that was years ago years and years and years ago but now i'm trying it again and i'm really trying to understand the actual proper way to use it like you explained um i really do wish more people would get over the thought that oh i'm just going to be tripping out and seeing you know walls melting all, all that kind of stuff like you said yeah that happens but if you can shut off a lot of the other things that are going on in your head and really focus deep down on yourself you'll you'll change a lot and i haven't quite gotten there yet i think it's uh maybe it comes down to the dosage maybe um, maybe the, the setting that I'm in, because I've only done them here in my room. I have watched some TV, but maybe that's not the right way to do it. Like you said, like maybe I need to really close everything off and just be, mm. um, and, and I gotta say, man, the, the experiences that I've had with them have been great. It hasn't been, I haven't had a bad trip air quotes, um, yet. And I'm thinking maybe. I'm doing something wrong because it's always, always like a, just a great happy feeling. I've, I think the most I've ever done lately was about four grams. Um, and again, good dose. yeah, it, it's a cool dose, but it's not, I'm, again, I'm not seeing or not getting that really life changing effect. And I'm trying to get, I'm the only person here that does it too. So I'm trying to, well, what's up, Kevin? But, but you, but you kind of are, um, tell them, I mean, if you're if you're okay with telling, but like, if, tell them what you told me the other day about, you know, what you haven't felt like taking. Oh, okay. So, I smoke cannabis, and lately the thought of I've I've had less of it lately. Not not as much as I used to. Like, um, the feeling of needing to have a joint to feel better about whatever has kind of faded away. Um, it's more of a I just feel better about myself kind of a feeling since I've started doing the psilocybin 
uh, mushrooms. It's it's a huge difference to me. I can feel it like just personally, and um, it just sucks that it took me so long to try to get to that point. Because again, I don't uh, fucking magic mushrooms. Man, who wants to do that shit? That's white guys. That's white people shit. Like no <laughs> man, like give it a shot. It'll really change your fucking life. I promise it really will. Well, and one thing that you told me that um, I, I believe needs to be mentioned is um, that you have felt more present in yeah. your day to day, right? Around your family, around people, you have felt more present. You've been more um, engaged, engaging. Yeah. Um, and this is, and this is Josh. I kind of want to point this out. Like again, like he said, like he's not he he wasn't going into this with the with the intent of 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 you know finding a better place for himself. He was just eating it. And, you know, came out on the other side with this. So it kind of, to me, that that's testament to like the, the, the true power of it. And I, I appreciate that you call it a tool as opposed to like this, this drug, yeah. right? Because the word drug has a, a, a negative stigma for sure. But like going into it with just, you know, just, Hey, I'm just going to eat these and see what happens. And, uh, and then come out on the other side, like more present, um, more aware, more engaged and, and engaging, um, and, another, you know, another thing is that, and, you know, like, Tyree, you may have been on this boat, but, like, you know, people can say, like, oh, well, cannabis isn't addicting, um, but it, it's maybe not be addicting, you know, and, I'm, again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know, but, like, I do think that there are some people, and, Tyree, I, I think that you were kind of teetering on this, that smoke weed to escape the the, the world and and um, feelings that you have and, and, and these experiences and everything else just to kind of shut down and shut off. I mean, I, I dated someone who was exactly like that, um, had to stay in this like constant state of high or everything would come crashing down and it would just be pure chaos for them. And the fact that you're saying that you, you would feel the need to smoke less cannabis um, after having done it, um, after having taken psilocybin, like, I think that that says a lot. Yeah. you know, about its effects and uh, what it can do for somebody. Now, mm-hmm. just imagine going into it um, with intentions, <laughs> with intention. Yeah. yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, like, and I told you before, I do totally feel a lot more aware of, of everything. I'm a lot more present. I think in my family life. Um, and again, it hasn't been a lot of, of uh, opportunities to try it, but I really do feel like uh a, a different person and I really do wish people would understand it's not about the the effects of when you're on them at the time it's about what you can actually really dig from it because it's a very cool uh, thing to be faced with some of the things that you've kind of buried a long time ago like uh, I don't really speak about it crazily but I've had some experiences and traumas in life and maybe the last few times that I've done them um, had my little magic mushroom chocolate bar. Uh, I've had some pretty profound thoughts about how to get over those things. And I'm, I go to therapy once a week. Well, and once every two weeks now through the VA. Uh, I've been pre- prescribed medication. I've kind of backed off one of those pills that I'm on because I feel like I don't really need it so much because, again, I'm a lot more present. I'm here I'm not always thinking about what happened 20 years ago, uh, 30 years ago even, because I'm 40 now and I can remember certain things in life. I can process those things now, and that's a big thing. And I think also the therapy that I'm going through is a big help also. 
I think everyone, if you have an opportunity to go to therapy, you should do it. But this is something that I even told my therapist about. And he's like, it's a good thing that you're trying something different. And again, trying with intent, not just, hey, let's party. Um, so yeah. it, it's also very cool now that I can order them online here. <laughs> um, it's crazy that I can get a receipt for drugs. Um, in some communities, you know, you go buy some some weed from your friend, they're never going to offer you a receipt, you know, ask you for a rating or something like that. So the fact that I can go online and have it delivered to my door within a couple hours is a big thing because I don't know how to grow stuff and I'm sure it's not very difficult, but give that a shot. Kevin, um, what is the, the feeling about it in your area? Like, uh, is it something that everyone's all down for? Is it, kind of the same kind of thought like oh man this isn't something i should try because i'm gonna have a bad trip or or how's it out there because out here it's basically hands off for the most part yeah yeah and and you know it actually that made me think of reminded me of what something i wanted to ask josh um but like so i'm in arkansas and um everything is illegal um cannabis has mostly been like it's 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 mostly been decriminalized Uh, we do have um, medicinal facilities where you can go pick it up if you have to be a card carrying um, cannabis uh, user or whatever um, given by a doctor patient. for one of like a hundred reasons or whatever it is. What was it? Patient. Uh, patient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Patient. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, like, so as far as anything beyond that, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a thing. Like it's still very illegal um, in my state and, uh, uh, and I'll, that I, I have seen the emails from the VA talking about like their exploration into psychedelics um, uh, for treatment and uh, which is great because that will, you know, um, if, if you can go to your VA facility, regardless of what, how your state feels about it and you can get that treatment at that facility, then you're good to go. So that is, that is a, a neat thing that the VA is doing um, for veterans because like you said, uh, you know, like they'll, they'll give out, you know, pills and, and, and I'm, I'm pretty against like pharmaceuticals in general. Um, just because you you take one and it, it may help a little bit with this one thing or it might numb you and just floor you to the ground, but then it also has these side effects. And now you have to take this other pill and it, you know, counters the side effects of the first one, but it also has its own side effects. So then it's just this like tumble of the spiral into like these, uh, different pharmaceuticals that may or may not help. And the general consensus, like Tyree put out a post on several um, groups that were that the, that the podcast is in asking people how they felt about alternative medicines for um, treatment of PTSD and depression, anxiety, and, and so on. And the the general consensus, the, the actually the overwhelming majority of the people were all for it. You know, let, let's see the benefits of this. You know, I, you know, this is what's helped me. And a lot of these people are taking it um, in, in a place where it's pretty illegal. Right. Like, you know, and that's pretty to me, that's kind of fucked up. Right. Like here I am trying to fix myself. I, I, I went off and did these things. I came back with this, this, this trauma. And now I want to fix myself and I cannot because it's not legal in my state. You know, you can go buy spores and you can go learn how to make a grow bag or or grow box. And you can, you can, you can do those things separately, but the moment you combine them, depending on your state, you've just broken a law, you know, um, you can, um, you may not, you know, cannabis may not be legal 
but you try and grow your own because, you know, where, where else am I going to get it in my state? You're breaking laws, right? And, and, and all for what? Because I'm trying to like fix myself. I'm trying to like make my mental state better. Um, so that to me is, is man, it's wild to me. Like, okay, why were you growing mushrooms in your house? Well, because of X, Y, Z, and I'm trying to make myself better. Well, too bad. It's a, it's a law that you broke. You're going to jail or now you get this fine or now you're an, a felon. And, and that just, this just goes on. And, uh, and it, and it spirals from there too. Right. So like now you've got this person who's trying to like, he's already dealt with trauma in their life and they're trying to make themselves better and be a productive citizen. And then they get busted for this kind of stuff. And then fuck now what, man? Like now I, I've lost my job and I've lost my, 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 my life essentially. And on top of all of this, I'm a felon and I still have all this trauma uh, that I'm, and I'm trying to cope with. Oh man. And there's nothing that can help me. What right? about people who are still stuck in, who are, who are in jail and incarcerated back in the day for this stuff. And now you, like I oh, said, yeah. you can go yeah. get a receipt and, and, for it. Well, and so that's, that's, that's kind of what I wanted to, what that reminded me of Josh. Like it, what is, what does the psychedelic exchange do as far as um, do you do any kind of like lobbying? Like, do you guys do anything that tries to convince um, big brother to, Hey, like open up about this stuff. Like we had the, the, the data is there. The data is definitely there. There are by this point, decades of information um, and, and tons of scientists out there, doctors who are, who are doing these studies. I mean, if the, if the VA is looking at it as treatment, come on, like that says a lot because the VA is pretty slow about, you know, new and trendy things. So do you guys do anything, um, in, in that realm as well? Uh, so at, at this point in time, mostly it's just the, the destigmatization and the, and the awareness and the education. Um, there are some really uh, incredible organizations that are doing the lobbying, that are working with certain um, politicians that are helping uh, put these laws in front of Congress, work to – there's also – so we're not actively lobbying at this point in time. We're, we're educating. And that's – you know, that's – that's <laughs> we, we've been in business for about, for about four or five months now, so very early stage, but mm -hmm. I certainly want to want to get – get deeper into that side because i think the biggest impact that that i can have is is in, is impacting change in the right way now there's so many facets of 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 all the different interest groups right that come to the table so i go to these conferences and they're full of you know in in, in everybody's mind there's there's a common goal of like healing the world raising consciousness you know, reducing the Ill illegality, creating the right structures for people to be able to have these experiences, everything we just talked about. Um, we are a slow-moving society, and we are a country of 50 individual states with, you know, each their own their own ideas of, you know, of, of what's the right policy for that state or what's going to get somebody elected in this election cycle, right? It's, it's all this stuff. It's, you know, Tyree mentioned, mentioned, you know, the black community, the BIPOC community, like the aspect of, of equity and, and representation is huge. The indigenous communities that a lot of these, you know, the plant medicines are, you know, they're, um, uh, you know, a lot of them are being appropriate, you know, reappropriated into our culture. There, there's, there's a whole aspect of how do we, how do we respect 
you know, the indigenous communities where these where these have come from. Um, there's the policy around it. There's should it be illegal or decriminalized or, or I mean, legalized or decriminalized, because if it's legalized, then then there's could be no control around, you know, there, maybe there's no control around it. Like alcohol, you just go buy it. And we know what happens with people, you know, and al- alcohol is like the alcohol is available everywhere. And it's the, I mean, live, live in Las Vegas. It's the most destructive substance in our entire society, mm-hmm. you know. And, and and so there's just there's so many different facets about it and it's it's a it's a it's it's a process it's a process i think that's that's the best way that i can put it like i went to a conference last year same conference there was there was aaron Rodgers talking about his psychedelic on, on stage talking about his psychedelic use with ayahuasca with his team and how it made him like gave him his best season ever the next season because he was able to connect with himself and in, in the locker room and there was you know, Rick Perry, the former, you know, Republican governor of Texas, talking about how he saw firsthand the impacts that psychedelics had on on a Medal of Honor winner that he was, you know, that he was supporting. Um, and and he was like, like, I saw it with my own eyes. I can't, you know, like, why aren't like this? We need to provide this to our veterans and to our, you know, the individuals that need it. Right. Like people you wouldn't think about talking, you know, right on stage next to, you know. All, all, all the other guys, all the other guys that have been in this space forever, Paul Stamets, like the legendary mycologist, you know, um, uh, Michael Pollan, the guy who, you know, wrote the book and the documentaries, How to Change Your Mind and talked about all the different all the different medicines, like all these guys coming together next to policymakers, next to lobbyists, you know, next to next to. Jaden Smith, right, talking about using 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 mushrooms with his mom and how that helped him reduce his anxiety, right? You get you get all these different facets coming together um, to create a change that I think we all want to see. And at the same time, you've got pharmaceutical you know pharmaceutical companies trying to rush in and figure out how they can patent certain molecules because. They want to create, you know, create some some t- sort of medicine that you can keep keep people on, so you can keep sell, sell, you know selling medicine and keeping people on a prescription, which is, you know, when you when you when when people no longer have to be on an antidepressant for the rest of their life, right? That's a stream of income and a, a very you know very deep pockets lobbyists that mm-hmm. you know that are that are you know in co- you know on the steps of Congress trying to get their their goals passed or you know or heard so. You get all these in this in this chaotic space of psychedelics, which we don't really freaking understand. You know, like when you think about the brain and how complex it is, right? I, I think we probably know less about the brain than we do about space, you know, mm-hmm. or the ocean. Yeah. Right? Like, brain is a crazy, a crazy place. But you know, it, the goal, I think, oh, the overarching goal is that we should all have safe, equitable access to you know, to the entire range of, of, of tools and therapies that can help us live more meaningful lives and, and, and everybody, right. The underrepresented communities are an enormous part of that. And I've really appreciated seeing um, lately at conferences I've gone to, you know, a higher uptick of, of representation, um, you know, from multiple different, different communities and underrepresented communities, because, now there now I'm seeing a, a big focus on on um, using psychedelic medicines to heal multi-generational trauma or intergenerational trauma right? yeah. like that's that worked with me and my mom actually um, but you think about the trauma of indigenous communities of BIPOC communities right that is it's so deeply entrenched 
Um, I've even seen reports very recently of of ayahuasca journeys for Palestinians and Israelis mm. and, and the significant impacts is helping, you know, think about those, those entrenched beliefs. Like, how do you solve that problem? Put them in a room, give them all psychedelics. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, think about this wild world we're entering in right now. And um, yeah, I mean, it, I stay, I try to stay humble because on this side of it, like I feel like you do Tyree, like, like, and my experience is I just feel better living, like getting out of bed every day, like yeah. not relying on so much chemical dependency anymore, you know, like connecting with myself in the present, with my family around me, mm-hmm. with, you know, the things that bring me just j- joy naturally, you know, without having to seek the next dopamine hit all the time or, you know, having to numb my problems at the end of the day so I can fall asleep. It's a completely different way to go through life. You know, like every day you look at as a, as a gift, you know, full of gratitude, you know, like the ability to connect with other humans, to connect with yourself, to be with yourself without feeling like I gotta, I gotta be stimulating myself from some, you know, some distraction from being with my own mind. Right. Like I remember feeling that all the time. And now for the most part, I don't. And then the question is now, what, what do I get to do with that time? Like I have a, I have the privilege of the freedom of, of my mind, you know, in large part now to choose how to spend, you know, this non-renewable resource of time that we have and my attention to do, to do good. Right. Not just to, not just to indulge in life and, you know, numb, numb things and have fun and party, but to like, really like to look at every day as a gift that, that I get, you know, I get to give, I get to get to love, get to appreciate. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the work, man. That's, that's the, that's the work. That's, that's where the quality of life comes from. I think. Mm. I wanted to say that. So the use of psilocybin has been around for a very long time. I mean, fungus has been around for a very, 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 very long time. And we're talking like billions older than us for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And actually there's a, um, I've been, so there's, so fungi are in its own category too. Like there's there's plants, there's animals, and there's fungi. And fungi are this is just interesting. They they've evolved kind of like humans, but they are closer in evolution to humans than they are to plants. Like they're yeah, a very they, intelligent species, right? They're under all the they're the thing that like connects everything under the ground. They're like a neural network under under our feet all the time. They're the thing that decompose, right? They're it's what mold is. It's, you know, everything that's, that's fungus related. Yeah, no, that, yeah, you know, and I, I've always thought that was neat. What was, I can't remember what that's called. Like in the, the forest, how like, like trees and other plants are connected. It's called something. Um, is it, it, colloquially it's called the, the, um, uh, what is it called? The, oh man, world wood, well, like I wood really, wide web or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, but it's 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 always been kind of amazing to me that like it's been used for by by humans for thousands of years um some estimates 9000 years i mean we know that the, the maya and the aztecs used them uh we know that they were used i mean they what was it they called the, the flesh of the gods right um and it's so it was it's been used for these purposes with you know they understood the the healing properties of it and then Fast forward to the 1970s, 
and you know the you know American government gets a hold of it and says, actually, that stuff's bad for you. No matter how long it's been used and like the, all the great successes, they didn't do proper studies on it, but we did, and now we're going to make it illegal. And I've always thought that was kind of interesting. Um, just that I'm not a historian, but I think that uh, um, my understanding is that there's a lot of a lot of it is grounded in going to. Um, I was Nixon or Reagan or whoever the the war on drugs and a, a, an enormous tie to racism to to historical mm-hmm. racism right um, control of you know it's it's like a controlled population it's you know it's it's uh, yes it's there's this aspect of you know making things illegal or the war on drugs that um, that uh, you know it's, it's part of the, like the political cycle it's part of the who's in power and how to control it how to create fear and you know use fear to impact laws and then use laws to think about what what one generation of of creating something you know as like one generation of kids waking up saying this is your brain this is your brain on drugs you know smash right and this is what marijuana does right and the reefer madness like one you know you grow up 20 years of kids seeing that stuff and now those are parents and then that becomes entrenched in the community and then right it's not like we see we see science today and it's like that's not it anymore yeah, there's a whole re-education aspect of it, right? Like, I had a conversation with my grandmother, you know, about psychedelics and, like, you know, people around me that, like, oh, I never I never knew that. But this is just, this is how entrenched thinking becomes. And then it's, the effort becomes, all right, we know better, but it's not just, hey, man, like, wake up. This is what the, this is what the science says. It's, it's a whole, it's a whole re-education, you know, a- aspect. Right. You gotta, you it's, know, a, it's an unlearning. Mm-hmm. deep deprogram an entire generation because yeah i mean for those of you who may not be old enough to remember those uh, those commercials you know this is this is your this is your uh brain on drugs and it's cracking an egg and it's all fucked up in the frying pan um i remember what was the the anti-marijuana one was a spider trying to weave a web and it can't because it's high oh no you know you won't be able to build your own web either or whatever and it's just, it is kind of ridiculous you guys had um, pretty commercials out here in the fucking hood it was a black guy walking down the street and he turns into a monster as people are coming up and trying to buy drugs from him like it's not the same thing for you guys for us it's completely different like i complain about yeah, mcdonald had- commercials because every single one back in the day was somebody rapping and dancing in it like if you go to yeah. a white community it's nothing like that it's crazy no we had we had the dog come to school the dare dog yeah you know i can't remember oh, the dog's the... name no we had yeah. the rapping granny or some shit like that when <laughs> i was in school like that was the shit they focused on for us of course they had the, the dare don't do drugs kind of a thing but it was a sidetrack it was it was it was some kind of crink in it for people of color because it yeah. because i guess we just couldn't accept the fact that we just shouldn't do certain things we have to have it behind a fucking dance routine like what the fuck we're not that we're we're not that fucking silly and it's yeah. and it's offensive as fuck to me personally when that shit happens but what past all that what would you guys say to someone who is apprehensive about trying and we know the the benefits from it all what would you tell this person who you really want them to try it but they're just I don't know, man. They're stuck, not stuck, but they, they, they have a certain feeling about it and they don't want to, they're afraid of the bad trip possibly, or they're afraid that they don't, uh, they can't let go. 
Like, what would you tell those people? On the bad trip aspect, I'd say that there's really no such thing as a bad as a bad trip. I would I call it a challenging trip. And in every challenging trip, there's something to learn. You know, that's the really the the learning is is where the growth happens, and the challenging yourself is where that growth happens. Um, to the individual that is unsure, I always I, re, I respect that uncertainty. I think in my in my mind, the way to to open somebody's mind is is not to say, hey, your belief is wrong, your thinking is wrong, right? Like everybody comes, shows up in the present moment with all the with all the learning, the education, the indoctrination, the community, the family, the values, right? Everybody just shows up as they are and that's just who we are. And what I would hope is that everybody has the opportunity to, to be exposed to just the idea that the way that our minds are, 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 are just how they, just how we are at any single point in time. And we are all beings of growth, right? We're not fixed states of mind. Things aren't just as they are because they've always been this way. We're not just who we are because of what our religion is and who our parents are and where we grew up. That's what we're showing up to the table with. That's what we show up to the party with. But we get to choose, you know, we get to choose what we're carrying forward into our lives. You know, what opinions, what, what ideas, um, what misconceptions, you know, what, what we want to take into tomorrow, what we want to take into the next minute of our lives. It's super important that we, that, that, that we really internalize that the, the most beautiful part of life is is growth and evolution and adaptation and change and and that constant evolution of of life is really what the beauty is you know that's that's where that's where you know that's that that's that nectar of life is is i don't want to, tomorrow to be the the, the exact you know co- carbon copy of today i want tomorrow i want to be a new person you know maybe with new ideas and new creativity new understanding of myself and of the people around me and that it's important to respect this medicine and and psychedelics and my, you know any sort of mind expanding substance like give them really appropriate respect nothing is nothing should be rushed into everything should be you know understood as much as you possibly can you can't really understand these things but but they they do their respect um, but don't write don't write it off don't write any of it off because it's a quote unquote drug or because you've heard this or if you've heard that there's so much like there's so much self-knowledge and self-discovery that's available on the other side of one of these substances. And what I would typically tell people who tell me that they're afraid is that the fear that you're experiencing, wherever that's coming from inside of you, that, that same place on the other side of the psychedelic experience is going to be the per- the place in you that says, I wish I had done this so much sooner. Mm. That's what is replaced. That's what replaces that fear. And every time I see that happen in real life, I'm like, wow, it's beautiful. 
well, you know, it, and, and, and you said something earlier, Tyree, about, man, I wish I had discovered this sooner. And my response to that always is you discovered it at the right time for you. Yeah. There's no regrets, right? Just came at the, it came at the right time. Mm-hmm. Man. So this has been an excellent show, Kevin. I, I don't know if you have another question, uh, what, what? No, 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 no. That was, uh, I think that's a perfect way to end it because, uh, yeah, no, just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Josh, thank you so you, gentlemen. Yeah. Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Before I Forget. Josh, go ahead and give them your information so they can reach out to you if you want. Um, the uh, psychedelic yeah. exchange info, uh, let them know about it. You can, yeah. So you can find us at psychx.com, ps ychex.com um, also uh, at psychedelic exchange on Instagram um, or josh.halu is my is my personal Instagram if you want to connect connect with me one thing I would also and I'll give this to you guys um, for your show notes but uh, last just a couple months ago the VA the VA launched a brand new podcast called I think New Horizons in Health and their very first episode was titled Psychedelics mm. And they, it's it's a really wonderful episode. It's about forty minutes long, and they interview um, a veteran who went through the MDMA um, research trials, and tell his whole story. And it, I mean, I'd spend spend the time listening to that episode, and you'll in forty minutes you'll really understand what a veteran's journey looks like. That has significant debilitating PTSD, participates in legal research trials, and comes out the other end able to live a full, healthy life. Um, so much so that he even volunteered to go to to to, to support um, Ukraine, like on the front lines there, and was yeah. able, you know where he wasn't able to he used to live in his you know go in his closet when he would hear fireworks and put on his Kevlar, right? Like yeah. profound change. And and the the VA does a great job of talking about the research that they're they're getting into, and also the you know the the concerns about jumping in this too fast or like finding. MDMA on the street, you know, and knowing that it's like a lot of it's been cut with, with, you know, other things. So it points out a lot of the risks that are associated with it. So I think the best thing that, that, that we can do is just remain educated um, and, and know that it's important to engage in, in psychedelic substances um, in, you know, in the most safe, safe manner that you can, because uh, yeah, they're not, they're not to be taken lightly. Um, However, they are a, a beautiful opportunity to see the world through a new perspective. Hmm. I appreciate what you guys do. This is a wonderful show, and I really enjoy talking to you guys today. Oh, man. I appreciate what you do, man. And yeah. uh, we're going to link that video. Um, we'll put this up on YouTube. So we'll link that video at the end of this one mm-hmm. um, so people can easily find it. Yeah. But uh, really appreciate you coming on today, man. That was really informative, and and good, good luck with, the, with, with with what y'all are doing. I hope it uh, takes off and yeah, opens well, up a lot of people's minds. We'll keep literally. up with it on our side and uh hey everyone thanks for listening to before i forget please like listen share subscribe and watch thank you so much josh for coming on hey kevin welcome back to before i forget hey doc you don't know what that's about but that's something special and uh we'll talk to you guys later thank you yes have a great day